Chapters 17 and 18 of A House of Gentlefolk by Ivan Turgenev, translated by Constance Garnett. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter 17 The morning after the day we have described, at ten o'clock, Lavretsky was mounting the steps of the Kalitin's house. He was met by Lisa, coming out in her hat and gloves. Where are you going? he asked her. To service. It is Sunday. Why do you go to church? Lisa looked at him in silent amazement. I beg your pardon, said Lavretsky. I, I did not mean to say that. I have come to say good-bye to you. I am starting for my village in an hour. Is it far from here? asked Lisa. Twenty miles. Lenochka made her appearance in the doorway, escorted by a maid. "'Mind you don't forget us,' observed Lisa, and went down the steps. "'And don't you forget me. And listen,' he added, "'you are going to church. While you are there, pray for me, too.' Lisa stopped short and turned round to him. "'Certainly,' she said, looking him straight in the face. "'I will pray for you, too. Come, Lenochka. In the drawing-room, Lavretsky found Maria Dmitrievna alone. She was redolent of eau de cologne and mint. She had, as she said, a headache, and had passed a restless night. She received him with her usual languid graciousness, and gradually fell into conversation. "'Vladimir Nikolaevich is really a delightful young man, don't you think so?' she asked him. "'What, Vladimir Nikolaevich?' Panshin, to be sure, who was here yesterday. He took a tremendous fancy to you. I will tell you a secret, mon cher cousin. He is simply crazy about my Lisa. Well, he is of good family, has a capital position in the service, and a clever fellow, a Kammerjunker, and, if it is God's will, I, for my part, as a mother, shall be well pleased. My responsibility, of course, is immense, the happiness of children depends no doubt on parts. Still, I may say, up till now, for better or for worse, I have done everything. I alone have been everywhere with them, that is to say, I have educated my children and taught them everything myself. Now, indeed, I have written for a French governess from Madame Bolus. Maria Dmitrievna launched into a description of her cares and anxieties and maternal sentiments. Lavretsky listened in silence, turning his hat in his hands. His cold, weary glance embarrassed the gossiping lady. "'And do you like Lisa?' she asked. "'Lizaveta Mikhailovna is an excellent girl,' replied Lavretsky, and he got up, took his leave, and went off to Marfa Timofevna. Maria Dmitrievna looked after him in high displeasure and thought, What a dolt! A regular peasant! Well, now I understand why his wife could not remain faithful to him. Marfa Timofevna was sitting in her room, surrounded by her little court. It consisted of five creatures almost equally near to her heart a big cropped, learned bullfinch, which she had taken a fancy to because he had lost his accomplishment of whistling and drawing water, a very timid and peaceable little dog 
Roska, an ill-tempered cat, Matros, a dark-faced, agile little girl nine years old, with big eyes and a sharp nose, called Shurochka, and an elderly woman of fifty-five, in a white cap and a cinnamon-colored abbreviated jacket over a dark skirt, by name Nastasya Karpovna Agarkov. Shurochka was an orphan of the tradesman class. Marfa Timofevna had taken her to her heart, like Roska, from compassion. She had found the little dog and the little girl, too, in the street. Both were thin and hungry, both were being drenched by the autumn rain, no one came in search of Roska, and Shurochka was given up to Marfa Timofevna with positive eagerness by her uncle, a drunken shoemaker, who did not get enough to eat himself, and did not feed his niece, but beat her over the head with his last. With Nastasya Karpovna, Maria Timofevna had made acquaintance on a pilgrimage at a monastery. She had gone up to her at the church. Marfa Timofevna took a fancy to her because, in her own words, she said her prayers so prettily, and had addressed her and invited her to a cup of tea. From that day, she never parted from her. Nastasya Karpovna was a woman of the most cheerful and gentle disposition, a widow without children, of a poor noble family. She had a round grey head, soft white hands, a soft face with large mild features, and a rather absurd turned-up nose. She stood in awe of Marfa Timofevna, and the latter was very fond of her, though she laughed at her susceptibility. She had a soft place in her heart for every young man, and could not help blushing like a girl at the most innocent joke. Her whole fortune consisted of only 1,200 rubles. She lived at Marfa Timofevna's expense, but on an equal footing with her, Marfa Timofevna would not have put up with any servility. Ah, Fedya, she began directly she saw him. Last night you did not see my family. You must admire them. We are all here together for tea. This is our second holiday tea. You can make friends with them all. Only Shurochka won't let you, and the cat will scratch. Are you starting today? Yes. Lavretsky sat down on a low seat. I have just said good-bye to Maria Dmitrievna. I saw Lisaveta Mihalovna too. Call her Lisa, my dear fellow. Mihalovna, indeed, to you, but sit still, or you will break Shurichka's little chair. She had gone to church, continued Lavretsky. Is she religious? Yes, Fedya, very much so. More than you and I, Fedya. Aren't you religious, then? lisped Nastasya Karpovna. Today you have not been to the early service, but you are going to the late. No, not at all. You will go alone. I have grown too lazy, my dear, replied Marfa Timofevna. Already I am indulging myself with tea. She addressed Nastasya Karpovna in the singular, though she treated her as an equal. She was not a pestov for nothing. Three pestovs had been on the death list of Ivan the Terrible. Marfa Timofevna was well aware of the fact. Tell me, please, began Lavretsky again. 
Marya Dmitrievna has just been talking to me about this. What's his name? Panshin. What sort of a man is he? What a chatterbox she is, Lord save us, muttered Marfa Timofyevna. She told you, I suppose, as a secret that he has turned up as a suitor. She might have whispered it to her priest's son. No, he's not good enough for her, it seems. And so far there is nothing to tell, thank God, but already she's gossiping about it. Why thank God? asked Lavretsky. Because I don't like the fine young gentleman. And so what is there to be glad of in it? You don't like him? No, he can't fascinate everyone. He must be satisfied with Nastasya Karpovna's being in love with him. The poor widow was utterly dismayed. How can you, Marfa Timofyevna? You've no conscience, she cried, and a crimson flush instantly overspread her face and neck. And he knows, to be sure, the rogue, Marfa Timofyevna interrupted her, he knows how to captivate her. He made her a present of a snuff-box. Fedya, ask her for a pinch of snuff. You will see what a splendid snuff-box it is. On the lid, a hussar on horseback. You'd better not try to defend yourself, my dear. Nastasya Karpovna could only fling up her hands. Well, but Lisa, inquired Lavretsky, is she indifferent to him? She seems to like him, but there God knows. The heart of another, you know, is a dark forest, and a girl's more than any. Shurichka's heart, for instance, I defy you to understand it. What makes her hide herself and not come out ever since you came in? Shurichka choked with suppressed laughter and skipped out of the room. Lavretsky rose from his place. Yes he said in an uncertain voice, there is no deciphering a girl's heart. He began to say good-bye. Well, shall we see you again soon? inquired Marfa Timofyevna. Very likely, aunt. It's not far off, you know. Yes, to be sure, you are going to Vasilyevskaya. You don't care to stay at Lavriki. Well, that's your own affair. Only mind you go and say a prayer at our mother's grave and our grandmothers too while you are there out there in foreign parts you have picked up all kinds of ideas but who knows perhaps even in their graves they will feel that you have come to them and fedya don't forget to have a service sung too for glafira petrovna here's a silver rouble for you take it take it i want to pay for a service for her i had no love for her in her lifetime but all the same there's no denying she was a girl of character she was a clever creature and a good friend to you and now go and god be with you before i weary you and marfa timofyevna embraced her nephew and lisa's not going to marry panshin don't you trouble yourself that's not the sort of husband she deserves oh i'm not troubling myself answered lavretsky and went away Chapter 18 Four days later he set off for home. His coach rolled quickly along the soft crossroad. There had been no rain for a fortnight. A fine milk mist was diffused in the air and hung over the distant woods. 
a smell of burning came from it a multitude of darkish clouds with blurred edges were creeping across the pale blue sky a fairly strong breeze blew a dry and steady gale without dispelling the heat leaning back with his head on the cushion and his arms crossed on his breast lavretsky watched the furrowed fields unfolding like a fan before him the willow bushes as they slowly came into sight and the dull ravens and rooks who looked sidelong with stupid suspicion at the approaching carriage the long ditches overgrown with mugwort wormwood and mountain ash and as he watched the fresh fertile wilderness and solitude of this steppe country the greenness the long slopes and valleys with stunted oak bushes the grey villages and scant birch trees the whole russian landscape so long unseen by him stirred emotion at once pleasant sweet and almost painful in his heart and he felt weighed down by a kind of pleasant oppression slowly his thoughts wandered their outlines were as vague and indistinct as the outlines of the clouds which seemed to be wandering at random overhead he remembered his childhood his mother he remembered her death how they had carried him in to her and how clasping his head to her bosom she had begun to wail over him then had glanced at glafira petrovna and checked herself he remembered his father at first vigorous discontented with everything with strident voice and later blind tearful with unkempt grey beard he remembered how one day after drinking a glass too much at dinner and spilling the gravy over his napkin he began to relate his conquests growing red in the face and winking with his sightless eyes he remembered varvara pavlovna and involuntarily shuddered as a man shudders from a sudden internal pain and shook his head then his thoughts came to a stop at lisa there he thought is a new creature only just entering on life a nice girl what will become of her she is good-looking too a pale fresh face mouth and eyes so serious and an honest innocent expression it is a pity she seems a little enthusiastic a good figure and she moves so lightly and a soft voice i like the way she stops suddenly listens attentively without a smile then grows thoughtful and shakes back her hair i fancy too that panshin is not good enough for her what's amiss with him though and besides what business have i to wonder about it she will go along the same road as all the rest i had better go to sleep and lavretsky closed his eyes he could not sleep but he sank into the drowsy numbness of a journey 
images of the past rose slowly as before floated in his soul mixed and tangled up with other fancies lavretsky for some unknown reason began to think about robert peel about french history of how he would gain a battle if he were a general he fancied the shots and the cries his head slipped on one side he opened his eyes the same fields the same steppe scenery the polished shoes of the trace horses flashed alternately through the driving dust the coachman's shirt yellow with red gussets was puffed out by the wind a nice homecoming glanced through lavretsky's brain and he cried get on wrapped himself in his cloak and pressed close into the cushion the carriage jolted lavretsky sat up and opened his eyes wide on the slope before him stretched a small hamlet a little to the right could be seen an ancient manor-house of small size with closed shutters and a winding flight of steps nettles green and thick as hemp grew over the wide courtyard from the very gates in it stood a storehouse built of oak still strong this was vasilievskaya the coachman drove to the gates and drew up lavretsky's groom stood up on the box and as though in preparation for jumping down shouted hey there was a sleepy muffled sound of barking but not even a dog made its appearance the groom again made ready for a jump and again shouted hey the feeble barking was repeated and an instant after a man from some unseen quarter ran into the courtyard dressed in a nankin coat his head as white as snow he stared at the coach shading his eyes from the sun all at once he slapped his thighs with both hands ran to and fro a little then rushed to open the gates the coach drove into the yard crushing the nettles with the wheels and drew up at the steps the white-headed man who seemed very alert was already standing on the bottom step his legs bent and wide apart he unfastened the apron of the carriage holding back the strap with a jerk and aiding his master to alight he kissed his hand how do you do how do you do brother began lavretsky your name's anton i think you are still alive then the old man bowed without speaking and ran off for the keys while he went the coachman sat motionless sitting sideways and staring at the closed door but lavretsky's groom stood as he had leaped down in a picturesque pose with one arm thrown back on the box the old man brought the keys and quite needlessly twisting about like a snake with his elbows raised high he opened the door stood on one side and again bowed to the earth so here i am at home here i am back again thought lavretsky as he walked into the diminutive passage while one after another the shutters were being opened with much creaking and knocking and the light of day 
poured into the deserted rooms. End of chapters 17 and 18